with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 3. Do I have an amen corner this morning? I'll tell you what, the enemy has been attacking me in my spirit all week long. Uh, this message is like fire shut up in my bones. And the enemy told me you can't preach that in August. It's going to be a low crowd this Sunday. They're not going to receive it. There's not going to be an amen corner. You're going to be all by yourself. I say, get thee behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. I'm going to preach what the Lord laid on my heart. And it's my prayer that you'll receive it. Look at your neighbor and say, this message is for you. It's tempting sometimes to hear preaching and transfer it to the person sitting beside you. But this message is for you. It's for all of us. A little backstory here on Exodus 20 and verse 3. Exodus chapter 20 is referred to as the spoken Decalogue, taken from two Greek words, deca meaning ten and logos meaning word. And after three months of traveling in the wilderness, the Hebrews had just reached Mount Sinai. And they were standing at the foot of the mountain. Moses and all of the people had gathered to listen as God audibly spoke the Ten Commandments, and other things to them. And it's important to understand that before God ever wrote the law down on tablets of stone, He spoke the Word. And I'm telling you this because I want to remind you of the gravity of what was happening in this chapter before we read it. So you can realize just how painstakingly clear God was with His children. And now in verse 3, we're going to read the first commandment of the Decalogue. Verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Look at your neighbor and say, God was very clear. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am... A jealous God. Go down to chapter 32, just 12 chapters later, and verse number 17. In the chronological timeline, this is only about a month after God spoke to them from the foot of Mount Sinai. And I want you to put this in context with the reality that God had just spoken His word. And now we come to Exodus 32 and 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the golden calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. I'm preaching this morning from this title. Drinking the bitter fragments of idolatry. Drinking the bitter fragments of idolatry. 
If I still have an amen corner, put your Bible down, lift up your voice and pray for me and pray for your neighbor and pray for yourself. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we covet your anointing today. We need the Holy Ghost to permeate this, this summer service, God. Remove every vestige of complacency, Lord, every distraction. I pray you take it away from us and that we would focus on your word. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Well, I wish someone would shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. First of all, this passage shows us that mankind is prone to wandering far from the commandments of God. It also tells me that God himself could preach truth from the heavens and many would still do exactly what they wanted to do rather than what God commanded them to do. For those of you who wonder why God doesn't just audibly speak to the masses. This passage tells you why. God has already done so, and yet his own people still chose idolatry over obedience. This is still happening today as Christians reject any portion of the Bible that they don't like. Instead, they choose doctrinal idols of their own making. Some people believe that idolatry was just an Old Testament problem, but Idolatry is just as prevalent today as it was in the Old Testament, not only in the world, but within the so-called church. In 1 John 5, 21, the apostle gently refers to the church as little children. And then like a stern father, he warns them to keep themselves from idols. In a similar verse, the apostle Paul begs the Corinthians saying, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul gives us the first glimpse into combating idolatry in a New Testament era. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You want to know how to combat idolatry in your life and in your spirit? Set your affections on things above. Verse 5 ties it all together. He says, mortify Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, immorality, lust, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These things stir up the wrath of God, even upon his own disobedient children. All of these scriptures are directed towards the church. Point to yourself and say, that's me. Because God expects the world to love their idols. But the church is meant to be in this world, but not of this world. We are called to be holy even as he is holy. We are different because we are chosen. We are separated because we are in covenant with God. We are unique because we are called. We are royalty because our father is the king. We cannot bend our knee with the rest of this world when the music plays because there is only one true living God. The church is called to confront the spirit of Babylon in this modern era and declare, O king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We will not bend and we will not bow. You can throw us in the fire. You can laugh at us. You can talk about us. You can persecute us. But we will not bend and we will not bow. Only to the one true living God will we direct our worship. Are there any worshipers in the house this morning? Why don't you lift up your voice for a moment and lift up the name of Jesus in this sanctuary? He Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
While Moses was basking in the Shekinah glory of God on top of Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments inscribed by the very finger of God, a carnal group of God's own people were begging Aaron for an idol to worship. While God was displaying his glory to Moses, many of the saints were backsliding into abominations. I have a warning from God for this church, my church, this church that I love so dearly. It is possible for some of us to be in great revival while others slip into gross idolatry. It is possible for your pastor to be deep in the presence of God while others slip into horrific rebellion. I pray right now that we could rebuke the spirit of Babylon and the spirit of idolatry that is permeating this end time era where the spirit of the Antichrist is sweeping in like a flood. But I've got a word for somebody today. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against the enemy. Ha-ha. <laughs> ha while Moses, while Moses was receiving the very word of God, the people were worshiping an idol made with their own hands. They made the calf with gold that they had plundered from Egypt. History records that the Egyptian pharaoh referred to himself as the golden calf, or the God of gods. Oddly, it seems like the Hebrews were returning to their Egyptian bondage via idol worship. And what a horrific spectacle it was as they debased themselves in all kinds of wickedness as they worshiped a false god. The Bible does not spend large amounts of time describing the idolatry of the Babylonians or the Canaanites, the Midianites, or the Amalekites which tells me that God is far more concerned with the idolatry that happens in his own house. The Bible declares that judgment begins in the house of God. Remember, it was in God's temple that Jesus flipped the tables upside down and shouted, you have turned my house into a den of thieves. The lessons learned from the golden calf are relevant to backsliders, unrepentant Christians, lukewarm saints, fair-weather Pentecostals, and full-blown idolaters. When I say that, many of us breathe a sigh of relief and start looking around the room for the obvious backsliders. But the most dangerous idolatry are difficult to spot. We have plenty of modern versions of a golden calf, but they are hidden in our computers, controlled with a remote, tucked away in our closets, sitting in our bank accounts, worn on our bodies, rotating in our playlist, and carried around in our hearts. They are carefully tucked away from view, some folks worship their own little golden calf all week long, but lock it away on Sundays and think they're fooling God. But make no mistake about it, God will not be mocked. It shows up in our worship. 
because you can't really worship God and an idol at the same time. That's all right. You don't have to preach with me this morning. It shows up in our unwillingness to pray because you can't enjoy prayer when God doesn't respond. And God will not respond when you have a golden calf in your closet. It is evidenced by our lack of interest in preaching and midweek Bible study. There's not enough time for church when you're busy shining your idol. The evidence of idolatry manifests itself in dry church services. I'm not afraid of any of you. I'll preach it this morning. It manifests itself in dry church services where the Holy Ghost does not move because God will not pour out his spirit upon unrepentant, idolatrous people. An idol-filled church does not operate in the gifting of the spirit or produce the fruit of the spirit. An idolatrous church can't wait for the preacher to get out of the way so they can put their idols on full display. They find a weak preacher like Aaron who won't stand up against their sin and they fashion their idolatry with their own hands. I want you to know we've got preachers like Aaron all over Atlanta. You can have smorgasbord Christianity if you want to, but I'm praying, God, show me your... God, show me your glory! Oh, I'm pushing against the spirit of backsliding right now. I can feel demonic presence trying to move its way into this service. Somebody ought to rebuke the devil right now in Jesus' name. Some of you can feel the flames of hell this morning. And you ought to pray. I'm trying to snatch somebody out of hell this morning. The Bible tells us that hell is enlarging itself. I think we ought to shrink hell a little bit today. I think we ought to enlarge heaven with our praise right now. We're living in a generation that longs to find preachers like Aaron who will shrug their shoulders and say people are going to do what they want to do so I might as well get out of the way or maybe even help them. They do whatever seems right in their own eyes. They follow their own hearts rather than the word of God. They rebel against everything holy and they dare the man of God and even God himself to try and stop them. Individuals who are living in idolatry produce carnal fruits of strife, anger, Bitterness, lust, pride, promiscuity, disunity, rebellion, immodesty, 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 and unbelief. They're argumentative and contentious. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They love the things of this world far more than righteous things. Spiritual things seem foolish and silly carnal things seem profound to their way of thinking. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Anybody want the Holy Ghost power at Apostolic Tabernacle today? They're torn between two masters, but it was Jesus who told us that you can't serve two masters because you will either love the one and hate the other, 
or you hold to the one and despise the other. I see people who are coming to church all of the time and they're trying to hold on to their golden calf and they've got it in their arms and they're trying to carry it into the house of God and they can't lift their hands and they can't worship and they can't get into the glory of God because they're so busy trying to hold on to their idol. Somebody needs to lay your idol aside this morning. Lift up your hands and shout the name of Jesus. Somebody needs to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and reach out to God with all of your heart. Some of you have made idols out of things that by themselves would not be sinful. Did you know you can turn things that would not necessarily be sinful into an idol? You know why? Because you love it more than you love Jesus. You love it more than you love the house of God. If you'll choose anything else over the house of God, you've turned it into an idol. Somebody needs to lay it down this morning and lift up the name of Jesus. Now, one of the most intriguing things to me in this entire passage of Scripture is that when Moses came down from the mountain, he heard the shouting. Isn't it amazing that the world is okay with people shouting and making a fool of themselves at sports games and concerts, movie theaters? They'll shout and scream and dance. They'll go to clubs and they'll gyrate all night long. And everyone says, man, that's really cool. But you get in the house of God and you dare lift a finger and people try to call you a coup. Hey, I'm going to give God crazy praise. I'm not going to let the world. Some of you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You've been letting the world out worship you. God is great. And greatly to be praised. There is none before him. None beside him. He is God and he is God alone. He is all powerful. Don't let the world intimidate you into shutting up and being quiet. You ought to praise God with every fiber of your being. You ought to go ahead and look at Michael and say, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. I can get way more undignified than this. You think that shout was something? You wait till I really get excited about the goodness of Jesus. You just wait until I really have a Holy Ghost party. I'm tired of the world throwing their parties, getting drunk and sending our kids all into promiscuity, drug overdoses and telling me that's cool. And then telling us we can't get drunk on the new wine of the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all need to start sipping on the new wine and being intoxicated in the spirit. Hallelujah. Ah, Moses came down from the mountain of God. <laughs> and he sees the idolatry of God's people. This wasn't Babylonian idolatry. This was God's chosen. Huh. And he was so angry that he broke the tablets of stone 
And he ran down with holy rage and indignation in a powerful showing of strength, authority, and anointing. And he grabs the golden calf, the image, and the Bible says that he burned it with fire and he ground the gold and the wood and all of the various things. He ground it down into a fine powder and he threw it into the water that flowed from the mountain. It was their only water supply. It was their life source. It was their only sustaining water. And he threw the fragments, the bitter, broken, powdered fragments of idolatry. He threw it into the water supply, thereby forcing them to drink the fragments of their own idolatry. What an amazing thing. I had to ask myself in prayer. I said, Lord, I don't understand why. Why would this happen? And the Holy Ghost began to deal with me on several levels. Number one, the water as it always does in Scripture, symbolically purified the sin. Just as the living water of the Holy Spirit purifies our backsliding and our idolatrous ways. How many know we need a refilling of the Holy Ghost? I said apostolic tabernacle. Remember, I said I'm preaching to you. You need a refilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Grinding the idol into powder was a symbol of total and complete destruction, signifying that it could never be reproduced, reconstructed, or put back together again from the same materials. Some of you want to let go of your sin, but you refuse to destroy your sin. So it's always waiting on you somewhere where you might can go back to it if you ever get tired of God. What you need to do is grind it into a powder. Cast it into the living water that flows from the mountain of God. I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost right now like I have never felt the Holy Ghost in my entire life. You need to grind your idol into powder and cast it into the living water that flows from the mountain of God. <laughs> I know I've seen it my whole life. Why do you think people pray through and, and have a relationship with God for a season and then they disappear? And it always, have you ever noticed when people backslide, they backslide and they're 10 times more sinful than they were before they found God? Mm. A, a reprobate spirit gets on people. When they turn their back on God. You know why? Because they never destroyed the idol completely. <laughs> they never destroyed the idol completely. Somebody needs to run to this altar before this service is over. And throw down your idol. And stomp on it into powder. And let the Holy Ghost refill you. Ah. Also, it was a sign of complete derision. And total contempt for sinful idolatry. Meaning that by drinking the fragments it was reduced to waste. And left behind never to be desired again. Some of you need to get rid of the desire for idolatry. I know that you can overcome temptation. But some of you have been struggling with temptation for far too long. You need to reduce it. 
Get it out of your life and ask God to remove the desire for idolatry and sinful things out of your life. Because if you allow the lust of the flesh to live somewhere deep inside of your heart, you will fall away from God. And when the man of God is up on the mountain receiving the word of God, you'll be out in the world, out in the wilderness, worshiping a golden calf of your own making. Get the lust of the flesh out of your heart. Get the desire for this world out of your heart. Stop longing for Hollywood. Stop longing to be like the things of this world. And say, God, I want to be like you. Oh, I lost my amen corner on that one. I knew I was going to lose some of you, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Tasting the fragments of the golden calf typified the lingering flavor of sin. They were forced to literally swallow their sin. Have you ever heard the expression, swallowing your pride? They literally had to swallow their sin. The aftertaste of sin is always bitter and humiliating. The taste of sin is nauseating. The idolatrous fragments tainted the refreshing and otherwise delicious qualities of life-giving water. It made the water unenjoyable, perhaps even disgusting, bitter. Living water is not meant to be defiled with idolatry. Do you know why you can't enjoy praising God? Because you have idols in your life. You know why you don't enjoy worship and preaching and prayer and the things of God? Because somewhere there's a golden calf in your life and it taints the water supply. It taints the flow. And you can no longer feel what you used to feel. I hear it all the time. Preacher, I just don't feel God like I used to feel God. It tells me you've got a calf somewhere that you need to grind into the dust and cast it upon the water. Aha. And finally grinding the water and drinking it was intended to fill them with dread. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. To fill them with dread that their water supply had been tainted. It was God's way of reminding them that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. They needed to be reminded that their strength comes from the one true living God. Their very lives depended upon Jehovah Jireh, the provider who gave them the water in the wilderness in the first place. He alone is the provider. He alone pours out his spirit on dry and thirsty souls. I can't give you the Holy Ghost. Bishop can't give you the Holy Ghost. Pastor can't give you the Holy Ghost. Only Jesus can fill you with his spirit. And the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And any church that allows idolatry in their midst long enough will lose the flow of the Holy Ghost. They will lose the anointing. They will lose the power. They will lose the miraculous. They will lose the touch of God. They will lose the power hour of repentance. Oh my God, somebody needs to preach with me. We're in a generation that is just one idol away from throwing everything away. But apostolic tabernacle needs to stand up and be counted and say, we will worship the Lord. <laughs> and him alone, and him alone will we serve. It's interesting to me that God says in the book of Revelation, speaking prophetically, speaking of the Laodicean church, 
that he would rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, he will spew you out of his mouth. Clear reference to tasting something, ingesting something. When God tastes the fragments of idolatry, he rejects it completely. A lukewarm church is a church that never fully completed the process of purging the idols from their lives. Maybe they aren't an open rebellion, but they never drink the bitter fragments of their idolatry and taste the guile of genuine repentance. Lukewarm churches burn their idols and sometimes even grind them to powder, but they leave them sitting around. They never cast them into the purifying waters that flow from the mountain of God. And before long, they worship even the fragments of their past idolatry. Have you ever known to an apostolic that they appeared holy on the outside, but they were always bragging about their past sins, worshiping the past fragments of their idolatry? But thankfully... We see in the New Testament Jesus doing several amazing things as a substitute for us. We see Jesus coming into Samaria and sitting at a well. He was thirsty. And a Samaritan woman comes up to gather some water. And Jesus begins a conversation with her. And immediately he begins to tell her, all about the bitterness of her past and all of her broken marriages. In fact, she was living with a man that was not even her husband at that time, and she tasted the bitter fragments of her idolatrous life. And then Jesus steps in and says something beautiful. He says, if you will drink of the living water that I will give to you, you will never be thirsty again. Ah. In the garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus was about to ascend with the cross on his shoulders up to Golgotha's hill as the musicians come, the Bible says that he slipped away from the Last Supper. He slipped into the garden to pray. And he asked his disciples to pray with him, and yet they were too carnal and tired to even pray. For a short while with Jesus. And as Jesus wrestled with his human nature. And his divine nature in the garden. He cried out to God and said. Oh God. If it be your will. Take this cup from me. We know that this was the cup of wrath. The Bible lets us to know. That he who had no sin. Bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Why? For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Stand with me. Could it be that as Jesus symbolically tasted Of the cup of wrath that intermingled in that cup was the bitter fragments 
of the idolatrous sins of not only the past and the present, but also of the future. Jesus bore our idolatry in his own body and bled on Calvary so that you and I would have something far better than physical water. We would have living water. We would have the power of the Holy Ghost that they felt when the upper room shook on the day of Pentecost and tongues of fire descended upon them like as a fire. And they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Jesus said it this way prophetically. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I know you have bitter fragments of idolatry. I know that the taste of sin lingers on your tongue. But you can come into my presence and you can drink of living water. And listen to what he said. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly or out of his innermost being shall flow purifying rivers of living water. I want us to lift up our hands for just a moment. The Lord is dealing with someone today. I wish an intercessory prayer warrior would just lift up your voice right now. I can feel spiritual warfare taking place right now. Come on, prayer warrior. Come on, prayer warrior. We're, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Young person, lift up your hand. 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 Lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost sweeping in right now. I feel the anointing sweeping in right now. Living water is starting to flow. Living water is starting to flow in this place. Refreshing is coming. Comfort is coming. Deliverance is coming. Power is coming. Salvation is coming. Woo! Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Come on, prayer warrior, rebuke the devil that's trying to distract us right now. Rebuke the enemy that's trying to cause division right now. Some of you are on the brink today. Some of you are standing on the precipice of losing out with God. Some of you are in a dangerous place. Some of you have misplaced worship. Some of you are worshiping images. Some of you are allowing the bitterness to destroy your soul. Come on, church. Don't play games. Don't play games. Don't play games. Don't play games. Someone's soul is hanging in the balance. Someone's eternity is hanging in the balance this morning. I refuse to let hell win. I refuse to let hell win this morning because we want to go to lunch. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. 
Somebody ought to run to this altar right now and symbolically throw your idols down. Come on, church. Somebody ought to run to this altar right now and cast down your idols. Come on, symbolically bring them to the altar. Cast them down. Taste of the bitterness and let the living water restore you. Somebody needs to speak in tongues this morning before you leave. Somebody needs a refilling of the Holy Ghost. Do not leave this service until you are refilled with the Holy Ghost. But God won't fill you until you lay your idols down. Don't tell me you're a child of God if you won't pray in this altar. Don't tell me you're a child of God if you refuse to lay your idols down this morning. Some of you have pride and bitterness and arrogance. It's so strong that you refuse to humble yourself in the presence of God. That alone is an idol. You thought I was So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life so I can be free, so I can be whole, so I can tell everyone I know you thought I was worth saving.